You're listening to an Al-Mahdi Institute podcast. Thank you for listening. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen. Ala sayyidina wa nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yusirli amri. Wahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In the last session, we discussed the, the sin, the crime of lying. And we talked about the destructive consequences that lying can have on the cohesion of a society. Now, to counterbalance the negative consequences of evil speech that we've seen so far being mentioned and talked about in this chapter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seems to be placing a great emphasis throughout also on social cohesion. And the particular verse in which this is emphasized more than others is in that short space of two verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Aslihu, Aslihu, Aslihu. He's commanding believers to always attempt to make peace between themselves and their communities. And that obviously relates to social cohesion and civic society. So although there are uh, many moral injunctions uh, related to different forms of evil speech in this chapter, there is an equal emphasis that seems to be running through these chapters, which seems to be the underlying theme and that is, let's try and create a moral society. Let's try and create a cohesive society. Let's all work to, on this together, right? And we saw that especially when Allah describes people who are believers, who live and share a communal space as ikhwatun, not ikhwan, right? He was trying to emphasize that you are connected to each other by bonds of blood, right? You are as if you are like real brothers. So just as you wouldn't want your own house to be in a state of chaos, likewise, let's not make this bigger house, which we call society, uh, in such a disordered state. Now, the Quran also indicates, however, that a society is just the sum of its individual parts, of its individual members. So in order to have a healthy, healthy society, you have to ensure that the individuals who comprise that society are healthy within themselves. And we saw this especially when the Quran connects all of the different types of evil speech which are connected with society out there with Iman here. Right? Throughout the verses which are addressing believers about the negative consequences of evil speech, the khitab, the address always begins... Ya amen. Right? So there's a connection being made between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making, between your internal state of iman and the cohesion of society out there through the way you speak and the way you interact with each other. So it's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that the society that is around you that is really a reflection of you and what is going on inside you. So think about this just for a moment. If there are wars, if there are conflicts, global conflicts or local conflicts, national problems, if there is exploitation in the world, whatever may be happening out there, if there is evil out there, 
it is actually a reflection of an evil that exists within us, right? Because think about this. Any time a person steals from someone else, that's theft and commits that crime. Any time someone murders someone else or kills someone else, any time international states go to war with one another, all of those actions stem from individuals with hearts. So if a person has corruption within their hearts, has a disease within their <laughs> hearts, that's obviously going to be reflected in wider society out there. And I think that makes sense. Now, Allah describes this quite wonderfully in Surah Al-Baqarah. So I'd like us to turn to verse number 8 of Surah Al-Baqarah, please. Chapter number 2, verse number 8. Because what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing is He's describing the state of those people who create corruption in the land. The word He uses is Al-Mufsidun. Right? Mufsidun are those people who create uh, um, a state of chaos within the land. So in verse number 8, he begins by saying, he says, This initial part of the verse is actually, initial part of this uh, series of verses is very important. There are some people, there are some people who claim to have faith. They say on their tongues, we believe, we are mu'minun. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear. They say, no, what they say outward is one thing. But what is inside their hearts is a complete different thing. They are not actually believers. They have no faith. يُخَادِئُونَ Allah. They seek to deceive Allah. وَالَّذِينَ amanu, And those who do actually have faith. But in the end, وَمَا يَخْدَعُونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ In the end, they are actually only just deceiving themselves. And then it continues, and this is the important part. It says, "Fi In their hearts there is a disease. And Allah has caused that disease to increase. Uh, he caused that state of internal corruption, that internal state of the heart's disease to increase. Why? In other words, they were liars, as we have seen. But what type of liars are they in this verse? The type of lying which they are committing here is a nifaq. That their external actions actually belie what they claim they actually believe in. They claim to believe in Allah, but they don't really believe in Allah. So they've lied in the actual shahada which they have made. Allah continues, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ and if it is said to them, do not create corruption in the land, they're totally deceived. They are creating, in actual fact, a state of chaos. They're increasing fasad. But they believe they are acting righteously. We are, we are the right, righteous ones. Allah, Allah then confirms. Allah, no, they are really actually the ones who are mufsidun. The point of mentioning this verse was that Allah is describing these people as mufsidun. But the few verses that actually, the verse that actually began was they don't really have iman. Iman, as we will see soon, next, next session, the final session, is an internal state. And Allah is saying the reason why they are creating corruption out there is because there is an internal corruption here. And he even says that explicitly. explicitly. There is a disease within their hearts. 
So the reason they create corruption within society is actually because that is a reflection of what's going on inside within themselves. So this raises a very important point, and I'd like you to think with me along these, these lines. So when Allah issues moral injunctions within this chapter, Surah Al-Hujarat, He is saying that we should not lie. He's saying that we should not backbite, that we should not tail bear, that we should not ridicule one another, that we should not slander. We're going to touch on these themes today. Whenever he, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, issues these moral injunctions, he is saying, first and foremost, let's correct the problem that is actually taking place on your tongue. Right? Let's put a stop to all this evil speech which you at the moment are doing, whether it be lying, whatever it may be. But does it stop there? The answer is no. Because the moral injunction which Allah gives to the tongue is also a command to the heart. This is very, very important. This is very, very important. Because throughout these verses, Allah keeps reminding these individuals to whom He is addressing, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. In other words, Allah is saying, don't lie. Because your iman doesn't reflect, your iman doesn't go hand in hand with lying. So I'm also commanding you at the level of your heart. So you see, what we see is that, for example, we're going to see a verse today. وَلَا يَسْخَرْ قَوْمٌ مِنْ قَوْمٍ Do not let one group of people ridicule another group of people. The command is first issued to the tongue. Do not allow this type of evil speech to manifest itself on your tongue. But it is also probing further. It's saying, because you claim to have iman, do not let it actually enter your heart either. It is as if Allah is saying, do not speak to other people evilly with your tongues, but also do not be people who wish to speak in their hearts evilly of other people. Do you see that connection that I'm trying to make? It's not just a case of let's just stop lying. No. Let's stop being people who would want to lie. There's that deeper sort of therapy, spiritual therapy, which is trying to be uh, alluded to in these verses. And the proof of that, the proof of that, is that in the very preceding verses in Surah Al-Hujarat, Allah talked about making iman something which you love. وَحَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي he made Iman something which is endeared to, to you and he made it beautiful for you. You see, Iman was in the heart and love and hate, by the way, takes place here. Right? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I have made Iman for you something beautiful in your heart, something which you love here, I am also asking you to, love, to hate that kufr. That isyan, that fusuq here as well. And fusuq, as we saw, is a type of evil speech. So it's not just addressing the tongue, it's addressing the heart at the same time. Does that make sense? So, today we're going to begin with verse number 11 of Surah Al-Hujarat. What I'd like to do is I'd just like to read these passages in English first, and then uh, pick up on the Arabic and uh, some of the, the background story that is taking place. So if we turn to Surah Al-Hujarat, verse number, chapter 48... We're going to start with, uh, sorry, 49. We're going to start with verse number 11. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim. Bismillahir Rahim. It says, O you who have faith, 
يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا يسخر قوم من قوم let not any people ridicule another people عسى أن يكونوا خيرا منهم it may be that they are better than you claim they are ولا نساء من نساء nor let women ridicule other women عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُنَّ خَيْرًا مِنْهُنَّ It may be that they are better than you say they are. وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not defame one another. وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ And do not call each other by nicknames. بِئْسَ الْإِسْمُ الْفُصُوقِ بَعْدَ الْإِيمَانِ How evil are profane names after the profession of faith. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتُبْ And whosoever does not ask for forgiveness, فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ it is they who are the oppressors. These are some heavy, heavy verses, right? There are some social evils that are being spoken about here which resonate today in our communities also, right? This is not something that is relevant to 7th century Arabia. This is relevant more so given Facebook and Twitter and all that nonsense to 21st century uh, Birmingham. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the verse by saying, La yaskhar qawmun min qawmin. Sakhar or sukhriya or sakhriya refers to any form of defamatory speech directed towards another person. So I just want to get that definition out there for us. What is being talked about here is defamatory speech directed towards another person. So that person's in your presence and you say something which defames them, which degrades them, which is insulting. That's called sakhriya. Okay? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَسْخُرْ قَوْمٌ مِنْ قَوْمٍ Let not one group insult or defame another group. Now there's a particular context, like I always try to contextualize everything, there's a particular context that I want to draw to your attention here. This particular part of the verse was revealed about a specific person. The next part, which says, وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِنْ نِسَاءٍ That was revealed about another particular group of people. And then when it says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسُكُمْ That was revealed about another person. So in this one single ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gathered multiple contexts that were around at the time and has addressed them all one by one in one single verse. So the first one, وَلَا يَسْخُرْ قَوْمٌ مِنْ قَوْمٍ is referring to Thabit bin Qais bin Shimas, who we've already met before, right? If you remember, Thabit bin Qais bin Shimas is that companion of the Prophet who was slightly hard of hearing, had a hearing defect. And the particular context in which this verse is revealed, we are told, is as follows. Because Thabit had this hearing defect, it was always his habit to try and sit as close to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, when he would give his khutbah. So he'd always sit right next to the Prophet, right at his feet in the masjid in Medina. Now on one particular occasion, Thabit bin, Qimas bin, Shi, uh, Thabit bin, uh, bin Qais bin Shimas arrived to the masjid late. And lo and behold, that particular place in which he would normally sit is now occupied by somebody else, right? This happens sometimes. Um, and on this particular occasion, Thabit felt that, look, it's my entitlement. I should be sitting where I usually sit. Why do you sit in my seat? You know I sit there. <laughs> it's kind of that attitude. Why were you sitting in my seat? I always sit there. You shouldn't be sitting there. So he approached the individual that was actually occupying that seat and said to that person, could you please move? This is my seat. And the person says, no, I'm happy where I am. You go somewhere else. Now, Thabit became very angry, right? It sometimes happens, right? Because we become possessive, when in fact we have no entitlement. 
So Thabit became very uh, angry, and he said to that person, to ridicule that person, he says, who are you? He wanted to remind that person about something in their past. So he said, who are you? He said, I am the son of so-and-so. And Thabit replied, oh, you are the son of that woman. Now, obviously Thabit was referring to that person's mother. But that person's mother had a reputation in the days of Jahiliyyah, right? For her promiscuous behavior. And what Thabit was trying to do, he was trying to ridicule him. He was saying, ah, you're actually the son of that woman. Now that person became very offended and very upset. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this first portion of the verse. It said, let not one of you ridicule another person. Especially when what you're actually insulting them with was out of their control. Right? It's not my fault that my mother was like that. Right? That's what Allah is saying. Um, so we see here that there's a particular message here which is actually going to come later as well. And that is, do not... This is a very important message, by the way. Do not bring up things that are in the past and bring them back into the present. Because all that's going to do it's going to bring the problems that existed in the past back to the present. Right? So this woman was doing something awful in Jahiliyyah. You're going to bring back Jahiliyyah into the present. We're now in Islam. So why do you mention Jahiliyyah? Leave it. Forget it. Move on. That's the message that this is saying. Don't let one group of people ridicule another group of people. Asa an yakuna khayrun minkum. Is that what it said? Um, something along those lines. It says, I don't want to misquote the Quran. It says, it's, prob it's probable, you don't know the true reality, but it's probable that that person who you are referring to, who was quite promiscuous, promiscuous, perhaps they were actually better than the reputation which you have heard about. Right? Whenever there is evil speech, there's also responsibility on the ear. Right? We're going to come across this today as well. The tongue is accountable, but so too are you who's listening. You have to be careful. That's why we had in That's your responsibility. If you hear something, don't just act on it immediately. Try and verify the news first because false news is pernicious. It has negative consequences. It can be uh, problematic. Then the verse continues. It says, And again, this particular part is revealed about a specific individual. It is said that there were a group of women who would ridicule Umm Salama. Umm Salama was the wife of Rasulullah. Now, they ridiculed her because it is said that Umm Salama, out of his other wives, was relatively shorter and because she would wear simpler clothing compared to the other wives of Rasulullah. So these particular women, they would ridicule Umm Salama for that. And Umm Salama obviously became very upset. Rasulullah noticed this and in response this verse came. And he said, let not one group of women ridicule another group of women. Perhaps you don't know the true reality. It may be that these, the particular person who you are defaming is actually much better than they outwardly appear. They may be short and may not wear glamorous clothing, but that is not a reflection of their character. That's what it's saying. So in other words, here the message is, don't judge people for their outward appearances. Right? If you go to somebody's house and it's not like your house, or it doesn't kind of match your standards, that's not a reason to ridicule them or defame them. Right? It's actually quite a negative trait. You've got to be careful there. 
Now here there's a very interesting discussion that takes place between the uh, scholars of tafsir. Because the first verse says, وَلَا يَسْخَرْ قَوْمٌ مِنْ قَوْمٍ Now, قَوْم, one meaning of the word قَوْم is just a group of people. It's just a society, it's just a, uh, a collection of individuals. So it's quite general. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, let not one group offend another group. But then he becomes very specific. And he says, وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِنْ نِسَاءٍ He seems to, as if he's highlighting women here. He's saying, generally don't attack one another, but women, you don't attack one another. Now, of course, when you go to the tafsir here, you're going to come up with all kinds of fanciful interpretations here. Right? So I'm just going to give you two, because uh, otherwise we'll be here all, all lesson. Um, the first thing, and that is that some of the Mufassirin here state, now I'm not a woman, so I have no idea what goes on in your heart. So I'm just telling you what these people are saying. Right? You know better than I knew about what happens between when women start gossiping. Allah may here be indicating to a particular trait that women have. Maybe. I don't know. Right? Maybe. So some of the Mufassirun say that Allah knows something about the nature of women which required him to specify women separately from the general category. Why? Because you couldn't just say, Wala yaskhur qawmun min qawmin, because that includes rijal and that includes nisa. That includes men and women. Why specify women? Maybe there's some hikmah. Ladies, you probably know best. Right? That's one interpretation. I personally don't follow that interpretation. Okay? The interpretation that I follow, right? And, and the reason for that is because, mashallah, I find all of the women I know here to be wonderful people, so it can't be right. Right? Um, the better interpretation is actually a grammatical one. And this comes through Alama Zamakhshari. Zamakhshari is a Matazali theologian, but very well known for his grammatical interpretation of the Quran. He says no. He says there's an equality in these verses. Why? Because in Arabic, the word qawm is used specifically for men. So it's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, وَلَا يَسْخُرْ رِجَالٌ مِنْ رِجَالٍ وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِنْ نِسَاءٍ so there's no gender bias here, right? Allah is not saying that women are worse than men when it comes to these particular traits. Because the word qawm in Arabic can also be used specifically just for men. For example, if an Arab says, Ja'ani qawmun, A qawm came to me. He doesn't mean a nation came to me. He means some men came to me. Whenever an Arab says that, Ja'ani qawmun, automatically the listener knows that there were no women. Is that point clear? So from a grammatical point, the, the word qawm is used sometimes specifically just for men. And nisa is obviously the counterbalance. Because Allah is just saying, look, these evil traits exist in men. They also exist in women. The other point that I want to make here, and that is that sometimes the particular instances in which the verses are revealed, they can be revealing as well as to what actually is going on behind the scenes. Because you see, defamatory speech, the act, the crime that is committed here, the sin that is performed here is just one sin. That's called a sakhriya, <coughs> defamatory speech. Now, Thabit did it, and these women, women did it against Um Salma. But the crime is one and the same, right? But if you look at the context, you can see that the reasons behind why they used that evil speech are different. And it could be that if we do specify that qawm refers to men, and men here is obviously referring to Thabit bin Qais bin Shimas, 
And women is referring to those women who attacked Um Salma. The Mufassirin have stated that when we look at the, inst- the, the situation that Thabit was involved in, he used evil speech because he became angry. Whereas in the case of the women, they were jealous of the position which Um Salma had with Rasulullah. In the end, they all committed the same sin, and that was evil speech. They offended or insulted another person. But the motives which led them to that were different. In one case, it was anger, which is predominant in men, because that is linked to qawmun min qawmin. In another case, it is jealousy, and that is more prevalent in women. Right? This is the opinions of the Mufassirin. And that's possible. It's possible that men, generally speaking, are more angry creatures than women. And it's possible that women are more jealous, relatively speaking, compared to men. It's possible. That's obviously speculation, but that is what some of the Mufassirun have argued. That is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to talk about men separately from women and women separately from men. Right? So that's just some, some background that I wanted to give you there. <coughs> the point that I want to make is that all of the, the, well, this particular verse that we're talking about, it can be generalized because what we can say is that the outward sin, the outward act is one and the same. But the spiritual diseases that cause that act to emerge on the tongue are multiple. Right? So the outward act is one and the same. It's evil speech. But the motives, the spiritual diseases which grow out of the heart, they can be multiple. So it's as if evil speech has an outward aspect and it has an inward aspect. Now the outward aspect is obviously what you say. The outward aspect is the type of language you use, the insult which you use. The inward aspect is the spiritual diseases out of which that external act has emerged, which could be pride, which could be anger, which could be jealousy, which could be covetousness, which could be envy. The number of spiritual diseases is much greater than the actual crime itself, the act itself. So when Allah specifies these particular actions, it is because no doubt they have external consequences which are very detrimental. At the end of the day, if I say something that insults my brother, I leave him in a negative state. I affect him, right? But Allah is also drawing attention to the fact that these particular acts, they are actually symptoms of multiple diseases within you. And that is where your attention needs to focus. And that is why in the past I've spoken about those of you who know me, I've spoken about external fiqh and an internal fiqh. Externally, the fuqaha will tell us it is haram to insult another person. Of course, that's true, undeniable. But that is not enough. Because, (coughs) let's put it this way. If all we do is stop cursing and (coughs) insulting one another, outwardly, on our tongues, but in our hearts we hate people, then obviously that command has had no impact here. Right? So in connection to the external command, stop lying, stop insulting, stop backbiting, stop your tongue from doing these things, there is also a a corollary internal fit. Purify your hearts. Stop being people who would want to lie. Stop being people who would want to backbite. Stop being people who would want to insult other people. (coughs) And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as far as I interpret these verses, is doing, 
He's saying that I'm going to issue these moral injunctions and commands to rectify the problems which your tongues and your ears have fallen into. But the real aim is to create that inward revolution. Right? And that inward revolution is what we call in Islamic tradition tazkiyatun nafs, self-purification. Because a person who has self-purified themselves, they are guaranteed not to then commit those actions. I'm going to touch on this later, shortly. The next part of the verse is actually very interesting. Because the, the verse says, وَلَا تَلْمَزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Now the translation for that that is given here in my book is, do not defame one another. Now that's slightly, slightly problematic because I have said sakhriya is defamatory speech, right? Al-lams or al-lumaza is actually slander. It's slander. Now you see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two concepts within the Quran. Al-lumaza, right? Please try and keep with me here. Al-lumaza, which is being referred to in this verse. It says, وَلَا تَلْمَزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ That's al-lumaza. But he also refers to another concept known as al-humaza. Al-humaza. Right? And there's obviously one chapter in the Quran, Surah Al-Humaza, if we turn to that please, which is Surah number 104, where Allah mentions both of these two side by side. Now here I'm going to mention something which hopefully reinforces that point about internal and external fit for you just a little bit better. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know this surah very well, Surah Al-Humaza. Hopefully some of you have memorized this and you have understood its meaning. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ويل لكل همزة لمزة ويل in the Arabic language is a heavy word because what you're saying is curse be upon these people right uh, woe it's like a type of cursing Allah is saying this is serious you deserve to be cursed for it so he says ويل لكل همزة لمزة Curse be upon every, in my book, in my translation, it says scandal monger and slanderer. Curse be upon everyone who practices al-lams and curse be upon everyone who practices al-hams. What's the difference? Now here actually there doesn't seem to be any consensus amongst the mufassirun because these are very, very obscure words in the Arabic language. But there is some sort of general understanding that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about al-lams, he is talking about slander which you direct towards another person in their presence. So I insult you directly in your face. And al-hams is more serious because you actually slander someone behind their backs. So Allah is saying, curse be upon all those people who slander. Whether you do it in front of someone or whether you do it in secret behind them. The interesting thing is, Look at how the surah continues and the punishment that these people receive. In verse number 6, okay, let's just read the surah, all of it. وَيْلٌ لِكُلِّ هُمَزَةِ اللُّمَزَةِ الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا وَعَدَّدًا يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَالَهُ أَخْلَدًا كَلَّا لَيُمَّذَنَّ فِي الْحُطَمَةِ No, indeed, these people will surely be uh, cast into that which crushes الْحُطَمَةِ then the next verse says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْحُطَمَةِ What is this thing which crushes? Allah answers. He says, نَارُ It is the fire of Allah. الْمُوْقَدَةِ Which has been lit. 
It is now blazing. But look, where is this fire? He says, Subhanallah. The crime, the sin, was performed by the tongue. But what is Allah burning? The heart. This is something that is so important. And I want to just say a couple of things about this. You see, the Qur'an's, in, in the Quranic eschatology, man has to save himself from not one fire, but two fires. Now, I should make it clear that what I'm saying here is my own interpretation in line with some of the Sufis. Okay, and you take from that whatever you want. Allah's eschatology is such that man has to save himself from two fires. And let's just put it in the context of evil speech. When I lie, when I backbite, when I tailbear, when I call you names which are offensive, the organ which is doing the sin is the tongue. I have to protect myself from that fire which will burn the external organs which commit the sin. This is an external fire. But I also have to protect myself from that fire which burns me from within. And that is the motivations which actually led me to lie, to backbite, to offend someone by slandering them. You see, in the Quranic eschatology, as far as I understand it, there is an external fire which some people will be put into and they will be burned. I'm not denying the external hellfire. It's there. It's part of deen. It's part of iman. You have to accept it. But I'm also saying, there are some people in the, in the hereafter, in al-akhirah, who will have no need for an external fire. Why? Because they bring their own fire to burn themselves with. They bring their own fire to burn themselves with. What is the proof? What is my dalil? I will say, please go to chapter number 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number 24. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِن لَمْ تَفْعَلُوا وَلَنْ تَفْعَلُوا فَاتَّقُوا النَّارِ Be afraid of the fire. التي وقودها الناس والحجارة. He's saying, be afraid of that fire, whose fuel it has two fuels. It has two fuels. This fire, one of the fuel is hijara, stones, rocks. So this is obviously referring to a type of external fire, because if you want to create an external fire, you need some sort of fuel, wood, rocks, whatever it may be. But then he also says. The fuel is also you, people. You are bringing your own fire. Allah is saying, this fire has been created. It's an external one. It's an external one. It will burn those organs with which you committed those sins. But it is also going to burn your hearts. But that fire, which is the external one, that is not the one that is going to burn your hearts. It's the fire that you yourself are bringing to the hereafter. Right? It's that fire which envelopes and covers the hearts because it is already there. 
It was never something that was not there. Right? So this fire, by the way, is here now. What happens in the Akhirah, what happens in the Akhirah, according to the Urafa and the Sufis, all that happens is that the veil is removed. Right? The Akhirah is here now. What's going to happen is that our eyes will have the veil removed and we will now see our hearts actually burning as they are now if we have these spiritual diseases. Okay? So there's a lot of things there. Of course, you may want to discuss that further and there may be something controversial there I've said. By all means, you know, we can uh, talk about it later. The verse, if we now go back to Surah Al-Hujarat, chapter 49, the verse then continues and it says... وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not slander one another. وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ And do not call each other names. Now, obviously, last time I said that that silly nursery rhyme in the Quranic context doesn't make sense. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is directly saying here, actually, names hurt. Names hurt. What you say, even amongst friends, sometimes we use nicknames. You know, I won't mention any. Sometimes we use nicknames, just, it's, it's a kind of pleasantry how we address one another. But you don't know, maybe that person in their heart doesn't feel comfortable. Maybe they go home and they think, I wish my friend wouldn't call me those things. Right? So Allah's advice is, and, you know, best advice there can be is from him himself, is do not call each other names. If you have been given a beautiful name, Sajida, Hassan, Muhammad, Ali, Ruqayya, Sakina, whatever your name may be, Use that name. Allah, you know, your parents have given you such a beautiful name. Why use nicknames? Don't do it. Because the other person may be offended by that. And if you remember our definition of evil speech, evil speech is anything which causes offense to another person or harms another person. So name calling can do that. Now, this obviously has a context, right? And the context that we find from the historical tradition is that this was revealed about Safiya bint Hayyi bin Akhtar. Bint Akhtar. Safiya was a Jewish lady who converted after the Battle of Khaybar and the Prophet ﷺ took her as a wife. So she became one of the wives' prophets. Uh, one of the prophets' wives. Get it the right way around. Right? Now, because of her past, the fact that she was Jewish, Aisha used to use a particular name for her. She would say, Bintul Yahudi. Bintul Yahudi. Ya Bintul Yahudi. That's how Aisha would refer to this particular lady, Safiya, Ummul Mu'mineen. She would say, O oh, daughter of a Jewish man. O oh, daughter of a Jewish man. Now, obviously, when she would use that, Safiya became very upset. And once Rasulullah saw that Safiya had a tear in her eye, and he asked her, Ya Safiya, what's wrong with you? What's happened? And Safiya states that Aisha is calling me Bintul Yahudi. She's calling me the son, a daughter of a Jewish man. Then Rasulullah said, why didn't you tell her about your lineage? Why didn't you tell Aisha that my father is Harun? My uncle is Musa. My husband is Muhammad. Yeah? Why did you not remind Aisha that my father was Harun, prophet of God? That my uncle was Musa, Kalimullah, the man to whom God had spoken to. And why don't you tell her that you are not yet my wife? Aisha hadn't yet become the wife of the Prophet yet. So uh, Messenger of Allah is saying, tell her that you are the wife of Afdalu Khalqillah, of the greatest man to walk on this earth. 
Right? That was how Rasulullah states said. Said, take pride in your lineage. Take pride. Don't be ashamed. And by the way, it's a point I wanted to make. That evil speech, defamatory speech, one of the techniques that psychologists will tell us is that if you look at um, social anthropologists, right? If you look at social anthropologists, they divide communities into two types. Shame cultures and blame cultures, right? In, throughout the history of mankind, some cultures have emphasized shame. Shame on you. How could you do that? And other communities have emphasized guilt. They try to make you feel guilty for what you have done. Now, sometimes when we speak to other people, even when we are trying to give them advice, we will do it either by shaming them or making them feel guilty. Right? This happens often with parents. Right? Maybe when you were growing up, your parents would speak to you in a language which either made you feel ashamed or made you feel extremely guilty. Now, that has an impact on your individual psychologies. Right? Allah is saying, don't do this. Don't speak to people in this way. Try and speak to people. Even when you want to criticize people or you want to, you know, get them on the straight path again, don't go for the hard method. How dare you do this? Don't you know what you're doing? You're going to go to hell. You know, you're going to make that person very, feel very small and very uncomfortable with who they are. Don't attack them. Speak about the actions. Say, do you know this, that thing that you're doing? It could have these consequences. Try and leave the person out of it. Don't bring in shame. Don't bring in guilt. Right? These are some advice that the psychologists are giving us, which is very important. And then finally, this one verse in which all of this is discussed, it says, He says, don't use that language. Don't call someone a fasiq. Right? If you see someone who's sinning, and you want to give them advice, maybe you see someone drinking alcohol, right? And you want to give that person advice. Don't go to them and say, Oi, fasiq! That's not going to have a good impact. Yeah? You know, it's not going to work. Allah is saying, don't use this evil language after Iman. Now, in this particular context, it's referring to Safiya bint Huyi bint Akhtar. It's saying this woman has now become a mu'mina. She has now become a Muslima. Why refer to her past when she wasn't a Muslim? Why mention the fact that she was Jewish? It doesn't have any relevance to the fact that now she is a mu'mina. And bitsul ismul fasuq ba'dal iman. The worst thing you can say about a person is anything that draws on their past after they have rectified themselves. Right? And this goes back to a very important point. That don't mention people's past mistakes. It's irrelevant. It's gone. It's finished. Either they've done tawbah, in which case they'll be forgiven. Or Allahu A'lam what will happen. Only Allah knows what the outcome of those past actions will be. It's got nothing to do with me and with you. But often, when we get into conflicts, do you, you know, this happens quite often. Oh, yesterday you said that. Two weeks ago you did this. You know, that kind of health, that, it's not healthy. So avoid it. Especially when people have shown publicly that they're remorseful for what they've done. If you have a friend and they have, they're deeply regretful for what they did. Why keep reminding them? Why keep shaming them? Why keep making them feel guilty? That is not part of Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. It's not part of people who attribute iman to themselves. Okay? Now, in all of these particular verses, those of you who are in the Hawza, I'm going to mention a qaida in Ulum al-Qur'an which is so important, right? So I would like you to write it down because it's going to help you in your studies in the future. In every particular instance of this verse, لا يسخر قوم من قوم ولا نساء من نساء 
etc., etc. We have always seen that it's been connected to specific individuals. Maybe Aisha, maybe Um Salma, maybe Safiya, maybe Thabit, right? Specific individuals. There's a qaida in Ulum al Quran which states this as follows. I'll say it in Arabic first. If you are in the house, please write it down. It says, Khususiyatul Mawrid la yunafi umumiyatul warid. I'll say it again. Khususiyatul Mawrid la yunafi umumiyatul warid. The rule states. And this is very important even if you want to try and understand the Qur'an because it actually says something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The rule states that even though the verses that come are referring to specific individuals, the generality of what is being stated is not undermined. Someone may say, oh, this verse is only about Thabit or this verse is only about Aisha, it doesn't apply to me. Right? So we have this qa'idah. The warid is the, is the ayah and the mawrid is the ashkhas or the individuals about whom the ayah is revealed. <coughs> so it's a rule of, uh, of Quranic sciences that despite the fact that events on the ground were very particular and specific and had a specific context, what is being alluded to in these verses is very general. It applies generally to you and me as well. And I just wanted to share that, especially with the students of uh, the Hausa here, because that is a very important guide. Right? And it also makes sense even if you're not you know, involved in Islamic studies. It makes sense that Allah is not in addressing specific individuals here. He may be, but what his real intention is, don't do these actions to all of you. I just want to tell you something about the adab, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself practices in these verses. Why didn't he say... Oh, Aisha, don't do this. Why didn't he say, Oh, Thabit, don't do this? He generalized. He says, وَلَا يَسْخَرْ قَوْمٌ مِنْ قَوْمٍ وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِنْ نِسَاءٍ Yet in the back of our mind, we know that's Thabit and Aisha, for example. It's an adab which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself is teaching us. And that is, when you wish to criticize someone, don't make it personal. Focus on the actual act and the deed which they have done and try and show them why those actions are evil. They are not evil. The actions are evil. Okay? That's a very important point. Uh, how much time have I spent so far? Seven minutes to eight. Okay, so we'll do about 15 minutes and we'll stop there. So now I want to go to the next verse which is actually very, very important. The verse states... يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اِجْتَنِبُوا كَثِيرًا مِنَ الظَّنِّ إِنَّ بَعْضَ الظَّنِّ إِثْمٌ وَلَا تَجَسَّسُوا وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْضُكُمْ بَعْضًا أَيُحِبُّ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ لَحْمَ أَخِيهِ مَيْتًا فَكَرِهْتُمُوهُ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَوَّابٌ رَحِيمٌ Now, this verse is talking about three things. It's telling believers to avoid, first and foremost, Su'udhan. In Islamic tradition, it's known as Su'udhan. Su'udhan are negative thoughts about other people. Negative thoughts about other people. Right? I'm, I'm going to put my notes to one side now because I'm running out of time. It would take me a long time to get through this. So I'm just going to do it off the top of my head. Su'udhan is negative thoughts about other people. 
Because every sin your hand performs, your eyes perform, your ears will perform, your tongue will perform, it originates from a bad opinion about another person. Why are you speaking evil of another person? The reason is because in your opinion, that person isn't a good person. You don't like that person. So the first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, اجتنبوا كَثِيرًا مِنَ الظَّنِ Avoid much suspicion. Because that is, in fact, in the particular context of the verses we are talking, the root of all evil. Right? In other words, always give people the benefit of the doubt. If you hear something, and I'm going to talk about this hopefully in the next eight or nine minutes. If you hear something of negative about another person, just reject it. Say something nice. Right? Because the general principle is that if you're going to speak, if you're even going to open your mouth, say something good. That is the am. Right? That is the general rule. If you're going to say anything, speak well of other people. So the first thing is avoid suspicion. Now, let's say you do have a bad opinion about another person. Then some bad opinions, they are evil. They are a sin. Now, why some? Why not all bad opinions? The reason why some is because those some are the ones you actually act on. Those, you see, I can be thinking negative things about a person, but I don't act upon it. I don't say anything evil. I don't do anything evil about towards them. I just have that negative opinion in my mind. At this point, it's not technically speaking a sin. It's a disease. It's not a sin. Right? Just bear that point in mind. But some negative thoughts, you're actually going to act upon them. So Allah then takes the next precautionary stage. He says, Don't spy on another person. Because you see, all of this is leading up to, in a way, to riba. Because riba is the last thing that is mentioned. So three things are mentioned. Avoid negative thoughts and suspicion about other people. Then avoid spying and prying into other people's affairs and business. And then finally, avoid riba, backbiting. Why? Because it's all leading up to backbiting. You have a negative opinion about a person. You want to confirm that opinion. You want to satisfy yourself that what I think about this person is actually true. So I'm going to go and spy on them. I'm going to check their Facebook activity. You know, I'm going to, I don't know, check their mobile phone when they're not looking. Look in their diary. Spy on them. Look through the window. All of that is haram. All of that is haram. Islam recognizes people's right to privacy. Don't violate that because that is a haq which you violate from the other person. Right? Don't do it. Do not spy on each other. And if you have gone so far as to have a negative opinion, and you have spied on someone, and you, yes, you do see that this person is doing something which is haram according to the Sharia. Maybe you saw them on a Friday night on a street they shouldn't be. Right? Maybe you saw them in a particular place where they're, you know, Muslims and believers shouldn't be going to. Right? Don't publicize it. By doing riba of them. This brings us to riba. There are two definitions of riba which the fuqaha have given. I'm going to mention both of them and I'm going to tell you which one I personally prefer. The first definition in Arabic is a dhikruka akhaka, a dhikruka akhaka 
بما لو سمع لكرها ذكرك أخاك بما لو سمع لكرها It is you mentioning your brother in a way which if they heard what you said they would be offended they would be upset I say something about someone behind their backs and had that person heard what I said and if they had been offended that is ghibah now there's a lot of ahkam and there's a lot of fiqh related to ghibah one big misconception which I want to clear up right now in your minds is a beautiful tradition of the Prophet. I'm going to share this with you because it, shares, it sheds a lot of light on a very uh, thing that people misconceive. قال النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم هل تدرون ما الغيبة? Do you know what the غيبة is? The Prophet is asking his companions. قالوا الله ورسوله أعلم they said, Allah and his messenger know best. قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ ذِكْرُكَ أَخَاكَ بِمَا لَوْ سَمِعَ لَكَرِحَ The definition that I have just given. That if you mention, you mention your brother in such a way that if they hear what you say, they would be offended. And then the companions say something very important, which all of you should bear in mind. Says, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ كَانَ فِي أَخِي مَا أَقُولُ Companion says, Is it ghibah if I say something about someone which is true? Which is true. قال رسول الله إن كان فيه ما تقول اغتبته If you have said something which is true about that person, then that is ghibah. That is ghibah. That you say something about someone else which is actually true. وَإِن لَمْ يَكُنْ فِيهِ فَبَهَتَّهُ If you say something which is not true about a person behind their backs, that's not ghibah. That's bohtan. Bohtan is slander. And slander is greater as a sin than ghibah. That's why sometimes you hear people say, Oh, what I'm about to tell you is actually true. Don't tell me that's ghibah. That is the definition of ghibah. When you actually tell me something that is true. If you lie, that is bohtan. Bohtan is even more serious. Right? So do you see that the Prophet is making a... This is a misconception because I think sometimes people say, Oh, it's not ghibah because what I'm saying is true. No, that is the definition of ghibah. If you were to lie, that wouldn't be ghibah. It would be bohtan. The second definition that is given by the fuqaha is slightly different. They say it's kashful ayub alati Allah. It is to expose the faults which people have, which Allah has kept hidden. Which Allah has kept hidden. So, so I may, one of you, well, okay. There a person X and person Y. Person X and Y are talking about person Z. Now they know something about person Z which the rest of the community don't know. Maybe he went nightclub, when maybe he went, drank alcohol, maybe they committed zina at university, who cares? Whatever it may be. If the other people don't know and X and Y publicize it by backbiting, then that is a type of ghibah. 
is to expose people for the crimes which they you know one of the names of Allah is as-sitir the one who hides our faults if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to hide your faults who am i to expose them in public if Allah chose to keep keep them hidden who am i to expose them in public do i not have my own ayub which are hidden of course i do Everyone in this room has particular faults and things they've done which other people don't know about. Right? As believers, as brothers, we should not be publicizing those things. And riba is considered within the Islamic tradition as min al-kaba'ir. It is considered as one of the major sins. Major sins. Now I just want to give you a little bit of ahkam because it's very important here. If you have committed riba, if you have done riba, what do the fuqaha say you should do? Now here there's two opinions. Kafaratu man ikhtabtahu an tastaghfir lah. Kafaratu man ikhtabtahu one tradition we have from the Prophet ﷺ is that if a person has done riba about another person, then the kafara, you all know what kafara is? Kafara, nodding heads? Okay. The expiation or the reparation of that sin or evil is to do dua for that person's forgiveness. That's the first thing you can do. And that obviously helps you as well because it removes the evil from your heart. Other people have said, well, no, because one of the conditions for riba to be forgiven is that the person who you have backbitten, they forgive you. Because it's not just sufficient to say, oh Allah, I have done backbiting against this person, please forgive. Because this is not haqqullah, it is haqqun nas. Whenever you have haqqun nas, the people who you violate have to forgive you. Now here, it seems, the fuqaha seem to have a difference of opinion. One group say that you have to go, uh, sorry, you have to ask for forgiveness of that person and it is not an obligation upon you to go and inform that person and ask that person for his forgiveness. Why? Because that person doesn't know you've done riba. And as soon as you tell them you've done riba, there's a chance actually that the situation may get worse. Right? Do you know I said this stuff about you and I said this about your mom and oh, it's going to get ugly. So some fuqaha say, no, keep it private. Don't publicize it. Ask for forgiveness for that person. Other people say, no, you, because of some other traditions, you have to go and ask for that person to, for forgiveness. Now, as is common within the usulis, they try to do jam' bayn al-adillah. They try to reconcile these differences. So there is a solution to this. The solution is, and this is what I'm giving to you, the solution is, if the person has, is no longer available, is no longer contactable, they may have died, they may have passed on, or they may be so far away, or you just don't know where they are. It was something you said about someone at university and you have no clue where that person is now. Then the thing you have to do, your duty is al-istighfar You have to ask for forgiveness for that person. On the other hand, if someone is available, you know where this person lives, you know him, he's in your community, you see him on a daily basis, then you have to go to them 
and you have to ask for their forgiveness with a shab, with a condition. And the condition is you first ask in a general way. You say, Muhammad, I said some nasty things about you behind your back. I don't want to be punished on the day of judgment. Please forgive me. Kafi, enough. If that person forgives you, then that person is also praised. Right? Because we should be forgiving. And that's an important point. Don't hold grudges. If someone comes and asks for your forgiveness, forgive them for putting them... For You ask for forgiveness for putting them in that situation. They have to come to you to ask for forgiveness. Love each other. Love one another. If that person says, what did you say about me? If that person says, what did you say about me? Then I'm afraid, boys and girls, sisters and brothers, you're going to have to tell them. Because the... Uh, the forgiveness is conditional upon them forgiving you for what you said. Right? My advice to all of you is just don't do riba in the first place. It's a very, very dangerous thing. Yeah? The Prophet said, Al-Mustami' Ahadul Muqtabin. Al-Mustami' Ahadul Muqtabin. The one who listens to riba, by the way, is like the one who's doing riba. So if you hear people doing riba, just say, guys, stop, this is riba. Right? Don't do it. It's haram. It's min al-kabair. Right? That's your duty. And there's a lot of other ahkam which are related to riba, but unfortunately, time is short. So hopefully I've covered as much as I think was relevant. God bless you all, and God protect us all. Support Al-Mahadi Institute. Visit almahadi.edu.